Welcome, everyone. I'm Grandpa Jimmy, your host, and you're listening to the Family and Stories podcast. My guest today has a story that may be the most harrowing story any guest has ever told on the Family and Stories podcast. Not only has his story changed his life dramatically, but it has affected thousands of others as well. Just to give you a little hint, he's also known as the Bear Man. Now, you spell that B-E-A-R, not B-A-R-E. And by the way, he has a really cool first name. It's Jim, and I like the name Jim. (laughs) So Jim uh, Van Steenhouse is a family man. He's built a very successful mortgage business, which spans 25 states and has over 400 employees. And Jim, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Well, this is going to be fun. I have been looking forward to this. And you know, Jim, in the interest of full disclosure... I must tell you that I spoke to your wife, Liz, recently, who, as you probably know, is going to be on the podcast here in the future. So just a warning, you know, she's going to get the last word, Jim. I'm glad to get to go first, because after she tells you her story, you would see me as kind of a downer. So that that worked out perfectly. Well, you did tell me you married up. (laughs) But she told she did tell me on the phone that you're, you're a pretty wonderful husband and a great dad. She did tell me that. So that's a good that's a good thing. Amen to that. So tell me a little bit about your family real quick. I will. You know, it's funny that uh, you clarified the the two different spellings of bear uh, because this is this is a hilarious story. I had a church call me and wanted to do a bear man testimony, right? Yes. And th- this is back when we were just getting started and anybody that wanted me to do a testimony, they just called me directly, right? So this, this, this chap calls me up and... Uh, uh, He's, a, he's an elderly pastor, and you can tell that he doesn't do a lot of things online because that stuff was pretty much above his pay grade. He says, I'm going to have some of my, my people uh, uh, do some research on you. So what's the name of that website? I said, man, it's really easy, bearman.com, right? Done. He says, all right, we'll check it out. We'll call you back. So he calls me back in about a week. I said, how you doing? He says, well, I'm doing well, but we're going to pass on the opportunity. I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, well, you know, I mean, we pulled up the website. And that's just, that's just, that's just, you know, that's, it, it's only, it, that we're just going to pass. And it just hit me. I was, like, I was like, what did you pull up? He said, well, we pulled up bearman.com. I was like, how did you spell bearman.com? B-A-R-E-M-A-N.com. I was like, brother, wrong website. So we, we did a little bit of clarification and they pulled up bearman.com with B-E-A-R. He calls back. He's like, I, I really need to apologize, but let's get this on. Oh my goodness! <laughs> oh yeah. So if it, it, you know, look, man, the, it, the devil will take any kink in the armor, and he found one there. So now we're very clear on how to spell bearman.com. But going back to your original question, I, the Lord has blessed me beyond what I deserve. Um, I have a twenty-five year, twenty-four year old son who'll be twenty-five in December. Uh, I also have a, a daughter. She's thirteen. She'll be fourteen years old here in a couple of days. Uh, you know, 14 going on 20, so we got to constantly remind her, look, you'll be 20 soon enough. Let's enjoy 14, right? Yes, of course. Uh, I understand that completely. I have a, I have a 12-year-old son. Uh, his name is Hayden. And uh, they're uh, Hayden and Brianna, my daughter, they're 18 months apart. And uh, so I, they keep me young, right? I mean, you got basketball and cheer and all these things going on at the same time. So it's, it's, it's fantastic. I, I, I have a Great organization, as you had talked about. The ministry's taken off. 
I've got blessed with, with, with Elizabeth and um, just, I thank the Lord every day. He's blessed me beyond what I deserve and I don't deserve anything. Now, does she go by Liz or Elizabeth? Uh, you know, both. both. That, I think she told me Liz, so I sure hope I haven't pronounced her name incorrectly. Oh, no. you know, Liz, she's got some friends that call her Lizard, so whatever. <laughs> I don't think I'm going to do that. <laughs> so how long have you been a believer? Tell me about that. Well, I mean, I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior Sunday school when I was when I was when I was a child growing up on the farm. You know, we went to a very small uh, Methodist church, Wisner United Methodist Church. Um, but there's a you know a far cry from making that commitment uh, to actually to actually living it. Um, so you could say that I made the quick uh, the, the commitment at a very young age. Uh, and then it wasn't until, you know, I, the Lord chases you, right? And the Lord has the ability to humble you. And uh, it took us about 850-pound grizzly bear to, to humble me. Uh, I would I think an 850-pound grizzly bear could humble anybody. Yes, sir. That just tells you how stubborn, uh, slave to selfishness. That just kind of tells you the state of mind that I was in. Well, you're uh, you're now. You are an avid hunter. Is that correct? I am. Yes, sir. That is how I recharge my batteries. And you love bow hunting. That that is my passion. That you know, because I think you know. Look, the difference is: do you hunt to get a trophy, or do you hunt to recharge your batteries? And I mean, we're everybody's like a cell phone. You got to you got to plug yourself in, just like you plug your cell phone in every day. And you know, my my daughter will escape to her room and do all of these things in her room and her little world in there, and she'll come out fully charged. My wife loves to read. Some people like being around people, they recharge. I love going into the mountains. Uh, if, if, if I'm successful in harvesting a trophy, that's okay. I'll take that, no problem. But for me, that's how I recharge my batteries. And archery hunting is the ultimate pursuit one-on-one or two-on-one with a guide. And that there, there is no better game, cat and mouse game, than when you're going after an animal, when you're in their element, and you are you are outthought 99.99% of the time. Because uh, when they outthink you, it's just one of those, great job, you got me this time, I'm going to learn. And just keep doing it. That's how right. I charge my back. Now, that's where your story really began. Now, you were on a backcountry hunting trip for what, moose or something? Was it in Alaska? Where were you exactly? We were up in the Northwest Territories of Canada uh, in September of 2015, archery hunting for moose. Yes, sir. Tell me the story. What happened? Well, we were up there. Uh, great, great outfitter. I was up there with six or seven other guys. They were all uh, rifle hunters. I was the only archer. Um, and the way that the way that it basically works is the the owner of of, of, the, of the outfit will take you out on a helicopter. I mean, they, they manage millions and millions of acres of, of property where they're allowed to hunt there. And they just basically drop you and your guide off in an area. And the guides have what the, you know, the in-reach of the in-touch satellite system that keeps you in touch with base camp. They drop you off and they're like, hey, let us know if you need us. See you in five, ten days, whatever it takes. They dropped us off. And the second that they dropped us off, the helicopter's taken off and I'm looking down at the ground and I'm looking down at the this huge paw print in the sand on this riverbank. <laughs> and I said, Hey Jordan, 
I said, is that a grizzly print? And he's like, yes, sir. We're going to stay away from those. And I was like, man, Roger that. Then we set up camp and started spotting and stalking where you just go up on the mountain. You just glass all day looking for moose. So that was, there was the two of you, you and a guide and really yes, in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. You don't even see, you don't even see jets fly over. You are in the middle of nowhere. Period. End of story. So a good place for you to decompress. So you thought. That's how you charge. That's how I charge my batteries. Yes, sir. So then, what happened? Well, we, you know, the first, the first day of the, the first, the very first day of the hunt, uh, we had a, a, a cow moose uh, come up, a female come up into the draw, and which was fantastic because if there's any males around, and she's in heat, they'll, they'll naturally be drawn to her. And he also saw a grizzly bear off in the distance above the tree line, just foraging around for berries and fattening it up because they're about getting ready to go into hibernation. Now, I didn't pay any attention to it. This thing's, you know, it's, it's, it's a speck in your binoculars. It's about three miles away, two, two three miles away. He's like, we got to keep our eye on that. And I just like, it was so far away, I didn't really pay any attention to it. So he was he was watching the, the, the female moose, the, the cow, and I was off glass in another direction. And all of a sudden, he's like, man, Seenhouse, get over here. So I run up there. And he's like, that, that cow just come busting out of this draw, and I don't see that grizzly bear anymore. And then no sooner did he say that, up on that, up on that ridge we were on, that, that grizzly pops up, maybe 70 yards away. And I'm standing there with a bow in my hand. He's got a 44 lever action rifle, which is not the biggest weapon in the world, as you know. He says, well, you know, if that thing takes a takes a step towards us, I'm gonna pull it right in the dirt right in front of his face. We, we can't mess around with this. And I'm like, yeah, great, good idea. And no sooner did he say that, that bear just started walking towards us. And just he, he, he jacked one in, threw a threw around right in front of that bear's face, and man, it was on. He's charging. Really? And that doesn't take long yeah. to go that distance for a bear, does oh, it? No. 70 yards, 60, 50, 40, and probably at about 35, 40 yards. He just plowed one of those 44s right into the side of that grizzly, and he just goes tearing off over the side of the mountain down into the alders. And I, I'm, I'm six foot four, 240 pounds of just scared man, standing there shaking with the bow in my hand. And I looked at him, I'm like, hey, Jordan, I don't remember reading any of the brochures that you've been trying to talk me into coming to this outfitter where you talk about any of this stuff. And he's like, yeah, we're, we're, we're going to leave this area. Uh, so that was that was day one. Uh, which it sets in, you know, you, you dream about going to these places, but one of the things you got to understand, Jimmy, is that you're on their turf. It's their rules. You are a guest. And that hunt got really real, really fast. Well, you know, I had a friend who went grizzly hunting and he said, this guy told him, he said, you got to remember when it comes to a grizzly bear, sometimes they're hunting you. And boy, you are evidence of that. They're just doing what they do. I mean, it's September. They're fattening up for the winter hibernation. Once you had, we went to a range after that incident, a few miles away, because in the in the Northwest Territories, uh, they're, they're, uh, grizzly bears are protected. They're a spiritual animal, you know, the Inuits. So they've not been hunted. So when they hear a rifle report, what that means to them is that there's a high probability that there is a dead animal, a carcass, and they go feed on it. So a, a rifle shot to them, whereas animals that are hunted, they have a fight or flight. Uh, that's that's a learned behavior. So any other rifle report, man, things are scattering. But for a grizzly bear who's not hunted, that rifle report to them is a dinner bell. 
you know, after Jordan explained that to me, we went off, you know, a few miles, three, four, five miles away uh, for, for this next couple of days uh, to hunt. So that bear at that point, that bear left you alone. Well, yeah, I mean, he, he you know, he, he drilled that bear and he just went barreling over into the alder bush. You know, we didn't have any interest of checking on it. You know, the last thing you want to do is go checking on a wounded grizzly. Uh, so we just we just left the area. Period. End of story. It's been on another day then that this incident occurred. Oh yeah, I mean we, the next couple of days we had just had some phenomenal hunts, and the, uh, the actually the, the third night of the hunt we had we had spotted a moose. We put a big stalk on him. The moose got away. It wasn't a successful stalk, but like I said earlier, I mean that 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 that's okay. I mean we got to do what we came there to do. We're back at camp. I didn't sleep a, a wink that night. I was so excited. We woke up the next morning. It was freezing outside. I mean, everything was frozen. I mean, I had a water bottle inside of a sock inside of my boot that froze. So I put on every piece of clothing that I had. Yeah, I, I mean, I looked like the Michelin man going up the mountain that morning. And at about 10 o'clock, I'm, I'm on the mountain looking over, looking over uh, the range. And, and Jordan's sitting right to my left. I had asked him a question. And he looks at me. And he just said one word. He said bear. I was puzzled. I was like, and he just had a look on his face, an unmistakable look. And I just immediately looked over my right shoulder. And right behind me, my four o'clock was a mature boar grizzly bear standing right there. Just like how far away from you at that point? Seven, eight feet. Oh, my goodness. It was right on you. Oh, yeah. He looked. I mean, that's their turf. Uh, he was rocking his head back and forth. They do a little grunt sound, snap their teeth, curl in his lips. I immediately look back at Jordan to my left to see if he had shouldered that 44. Because if he had, I was in the line of fire. I was just going to lay back and let him roll thunder. Uh, but when I look back at him, same position that when I look back at that bear, he just, he was on me. I just instinctively rolled my right shoulder and put my hands over my head which was the first thing that he went for. And all I thought at that time was, you know, Lord, here I come. In my mind, there was no way that I was going to escape that attack. I, I knew I was, I knew, I knew that I was going to die. And I, I remember thinking, Lord, here I come. Thought about my wife. I thought about my children. Um, you know, it's interesting as he hit me in the head, his mouth, you don't hear teeth going into your skull externally you hear that internally really and when my hands got caught up in his mouth it just sounded like twigs i didn't know what it was at the time uh, but it was him just planting down on my hands and breaking those in multiple places uh, and he hit me on the left shoulder right side left side right hip left leg and then everything stopped now unbeknownst to me i didn't know this until i brought jordan Texas several months later to thank him for saving my life. But Jordan actually was walking that grizzly bear down the mountain. When you say that, what do you mean walking it down the mountain? Well, that grizzly bear is dragging me down the mountain. He dragged me, he dragged me over 50 yards down the mountain, 150 feet. Oh, man. Uh, and Jordan was shooting left and right of it. You know, they're, they're taught not to shoot the animal because if they shoot the animal and it hits a bone, it can ricochet and come into me. Uh, but he finally, the bear is getting so aggressive that he just laid one of those 44s right in the bear. And that's what actually got the bear off 
But again, I didn't know that until several months later when I brought him up to Texas to hear his side of the story. But anyway, when it all stops, I'm laying on the ground. And I could see the bear just standing right beside me. He's standing right here. And he would take one step away and turn around and stare at you. And his stare looks like you're just staring right into the eyes of the devil. He's just staring. He'd take another step away and look back. So you were conscious. You were, I mean, this was really unfolding right before your eyes. You were wide awake. I was conscious, um, obviously in shock, I believe, because I, I felt no pain. I didn't know. I mean, when it stopped, I was thinking to myself, are you kidding me? I don't feel any pain. This is fantastic. And I realized, you know, I had to make a decision. The decision was, am I going to lay here and see what the bear does, or am I going to leave the premises? And I decided that I was going to leave. Um, and I got to my knees, and I thought it was raining outside. And I went to wipe my face and get, get the water off of my face. And I looked, and my hand was going in the direction that I had never seen. Before. So he had, broken, like, he had broken the bones in your hands. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so I, I said, well, I'm not using that hand. I'll use this one. And I looked at this one. That was even worse. So I wiped my face with my arm sleeve, and it was just it was pure blood, which I realized that, you know, your head bleeds so profusely. So I got to my knees, and I was just stumbling to get up the mountain, screaming Jordan's name, because I had no idea where I was. Mind you, when the attack happened, I was up on a ridge, and now I'm dang near into the pine tree. I had no idea where I was. I just figured he was dragging me downhill, so I was just running uphill, stumbling and bumbling yelling Jordan's name, and I hear him report back, and as we're getting closer and closer, the only thing that I want to know, Jimmy, is is my head okay? Because I couldn't feel anything. I, my hands were all messed up. I didn't know if my head was scratched, if it was like part of it was missing. And as soon as I got close enough to Jordan to ask him, is everything okay? He just looked at me and said, holy, and then laid out this, you know, four-word expletive, whatever you call that. And then I was afraid. I was just afraid to ask. Because from that point forward, it was just about getting off. When you were in the hospital, what ha- what were the injuries? What did they have to do? <laughs> Great question. Surgery, the attack happened at 10 o'clock in the morning. I didn't go into surgery until 9.30 at night. That tells you how, how difficult it is to get where you're going. That's a long time to wait, a long time to bleed. So it took me from the mountain to Norman Wells. Norman Wells doesn't have a hospital. They have a nursing station. And from Norman Wells, they had to fly in life flight to pick you up to take you to Yellowknife, which is where the hospital's at. Uh, but the answer to your question is I had 47 staples in my head. My hands were broken in multiple places, and I had more stitches than you can count. Uh, but it, it, we, had a, we had a full room full of – we had two doctors putting me back together, a full array of nurses uh, in the room. And we had one, – one nurse was off in the back of the room. I'll never forget it. Because most of the time, when you have these grizzly attacks, they don't end up putting you back together. They just end up calling folks and telling you that there was an accident. So she's in the back of the room. She's Googling grizzly bear facts. She says, do you know that a grizzly bear can run you know, upwards of 30, 35 miles an hour for short distances? Do you know that a grizzly bear has enough bite pressure to crush a rolling ball? Do you, I mean, all these facts, and I'm wide awake. And I'll never forget her standing in the back of the room rolling out these facts which has now become part of my testimony. You, you probably felt like saying, yes, I do know. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, yeah, the doctors are stapling your head. They do your head first and then did all the stitches. Oh, my goodness. So getting off the mountain was a challenge then, wasn't it? 
Oh, there's, there's no question. The guy, Jordan, had an in-reach or an in-touch satellite unit, which he has the ability through satellite to communicate with base. There's no cell phone. Oh, and by the way, I, I forgot to ask you one thing before uh, I slip here. When you were there and the bear was beside you and you were scrambling uphill, what did the bear do? Just leave or what happened to the bear? I have no idea. He got about 15 feet away from me and I said, I'm not staying. I'm stumbling up the hill. So and that was it. So you never saw that bear again. <laughs> I didn't go back and look for him. No, I would guess not. So go ahead with your story. I'm Jordan, sorry. Got on his, Jordan got on his satellite system to let base camp know that we had an emergency and it, it wouldn't work. Uh, so I told him, I said, Jordan, grab my satellite phone out of my backpack. If you hit the uh, red button on top of my satellite phone, I think the Navy SEALs will come get us, right? The emergency. Of which I remember distinctly, we both laughed and chuckled at that. And he hits it, and we get a text message back on my satellite phone that said, Dear Iridium user, in order to use the emergency uh, uh, system on this phone, you must pre register. It's a, it's a free service, but required before it works. I told Jordan, I said, You got to call my wife. So from the McKenzie Mountain Range, in the Northwest Territories of Canada, Jordan calls my wife, who's in the parking lot of a grocery store. Says, Miss Van Steenhouse, my name is Jordan Wagner. Your husband has been attacked by a grizzly bear. I need you to write down our longitude and latitude so we can get evacuation processes moving immediately. That phone got disconnected and the emergency system put themselves in. It actually does work. So Liz started working from Houston, Texas up to Canada. Jordan gave the emergency system folks our longitude and latitude. They got a hold of our base camp. Now, you give somebody a longitude and latitude and then try to go find them in the mountains, that's not as easy as you would think. No, I don't think it would be. You can see that helicopter fly past us, fly in front of us, fly around us. Uh, but he eventually found us. Jordan's waving his big burlap sack, and he laid that helicopter down, threw us in the helicopter, threw me in the helicopter, and went back to base camp. There's a, there's a lot of stuff going on in terms of, you know, sure. the Coast Guard not being able to get out. But the bottom line is he had to take me to Norman Wells in that helicopter. And he lifted that chopper off, and we were we were on our way to Norman Wells. During this time, I mean, there's quite a few hours that transpired before you got to the hospital here. Was there anything spiritually going on in your heart or in your mind? When he lifted that helicopter off to fly to Norman Wells, I was very scared. Did you think I you was, did you think you were going to die? Well, I was certainly afraid of it. I, you have no idea, and I, you know, not look. If you don't know the truth, you'll make up your own, right? Yes. And as we were flying, that as Stan was flying that helicopter, I feel the blood rushing out of my body, and I'm looking out the windows of the helicopter as he's following the river, and it just looked as if the mountains just. We're doing everything in their power to grab that helicopter and smash it up. And I was overcome with fear, overcome with fear. And then all of a sudden in my mind, Jimmy, I asked myself a very important question. I said, if I die right now in the back of this helicopter, am I going to heaven or am I going to hell? Now that is the question. I was afraid in the back of the helicopter, severe panic overcame me. I remember distinctly being so cold, freezing, and panicked. And at the height of my panic, I felt the Holy Spirit come over and in no uncertain terms. You accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. It was through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross 
where your sins are forgiven in believing in him. That is your access to heaven. You accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. And it was, Jimmy, it was as if a warm blanket was put across my shoulders. I had no fear. I was not cold. I was warm. When I looked out the windows of that helicopter, I just saw the Lord's majestic beauty in those mountains. I went from fear to no fear in remembrance of that Holy Spirit. You accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. From that moment to the moment we got to Norman Wells, I had no fear. None. I could feel no pain because my body was in shock, which is a beautiful, beautiful attitude that the Lord gave. That kind of peace can only come from the Holy Spirit. There is no other explanation. There, there's no question. There's no question. You know, I, I have... Uh talk to people who work in hospice, and they say people who know Jesus as their Savior, they have such a graceful way of leaving this earth. Those who don't, they are in absolute fear. So that that's yes, pretty sir. remarkable. I mean, that was the Holy Spirit assuring you of what was happening. So anyway, yeah. you obviously survived, right? What, what happened in the hospital? I heard one particular uh, podcast, I believe you were on, and you were talking about praying for somebody. What happened? It, so I get to Yellowknife. They put me back together. Nicknamed me Humpty Dumpty. And they put me in the room uh, in, 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 in Yellowknife. And I'm in the room with another gentleman. They come to find out this gentleman is, uh, he's in the hospital because his bowels are blocked. And Dean, who, who is my, my neighbor in the room, he, he's kind of a grumpy old man. I love him to death. We're still friends to this day. And he's still grumpy. But when you combine a grumpy old man with a guy that's in the hospital because his bowels are blocked, you have a really grumpy man. They had to use antibiotics to get him fixed up or they're going to have to do surgery. So that's why my neighbors. And then here's this guy that got eaten by a grizzly bear sitting next to me, right? So we're getting to know each other. And I'm laying in bed, in the hospital bed. And I felt the Holy Spirit say, Jim, get out of bed and go pray for me. Now, that wasn't something you did normally, right? No, never. I was the kind of person where if you said, hey, pray for my aunt or pray for my mom, I'm like, yeah, absolutely. And I go about my day. I felt the Holy Spirit say, get out of bed and go pray for Dean. And I, I reminded the Holy Spirit that, look, I mean, I, I, I'm in the hospital. Uh, he's in a really bad mood. Have you not seen him? Uh, and I'm not doing it. And I felt it again. Get out of bed and go pray for Dean. I ignored it again. And I felt it a third time. Get out of bed and go pray for Dean. Now, mind you, my feet haven't even hit the ground yet. I haven't touched the ground since I got to the hospital. I haven't touched the ground since I got put on the helicopter. So I'm sitting there in my bed. I'm thinking, this is ridiculous. I look at you got all these things coming from this tree into your body. I don't know what they are. So I swing out of the bed. I put my feet on the ground. I'm just trying to see, do I have balance, you know? And I, I, I can't grab the tree with all those bags going into your body because my hands are in soft cast because they've been mauled up. So I put the tree in this little arm deal and it's on wheels so I wheel out of my curtain over to his curtain. He's watching the Toronto Blue Jays game on. It's the only thing on TV there. And I'm standing at his curtain and I said, hey, Dean, can I come in? And I hear from the other side of the curtain, he says, whatever. I'm like, oh, that's welcoming. 
So I open up his curtain and I walk in. He's watching the Toronto Blue Jays. I, I walk up in front of his bed and I'm standing there. He's looking at the TV and he'd look over at me, he'd look over at TV, he'd look over at me. And I said, Dean, can I, can, I, can I pray with you? He turns it, he goes to the TV and turns it down. And he goes, What? <laughs> I was like, Oh. I said, I mean, I was panic. I was like, Can I pray for you? Can I pray with you? I don't remember what I said with you or for you. He looks at me and goes, Whatever. So I went up, and I just laid my hands on his bed because they were in the soft cast, as I had said. And I prayed. And that was <laughs> the first time that I could remember ever outwardly going to someone that didn't request it as an outward expression of my faith to pray over someone as being nudged by the Holy Spirit. So I didn't know really what to say. I just, I just prayed. And at the end, I said amen. And, I looked at Dean, he's looking at me, and I just kind of grabbed my little device and went back into my deal. I'm halfway out of his room. And he said, hey, Bearman. I turned around, and my nickname for him was Blockage. He called me Bearman. I called him Blockage. <laughs> I love it. You know how men are. You got nicknames for everything, right? Yes. And I said, yes, sir. And he looked at me, he pointed, and he said, no one's ever prayed for me. And I was just overwhelmed with emotion and I'll never forget Jimmy when I was leaving the hospital my brother came up to pick me up and they put me in the wheelchair to be wheeled out and he had me halfway out of the room and I heard Dean say hey bear man my brother spun me around and took me over to his curtain and I looked at him he said I prayed for you last night now I don't know to this day where Dean is with his walk with our Lord and Savior Jesus. But I will tell you this. His his wife, Tina, at the time was pregnant. They now have a vibrant four-and-a-half, almost five-year-old son, Michael Dean. I keep in touch every single week with Dean on Facebook, uh, whatever instant messenger, whatever the social media ways are for us to keep in touch. I never take the stage for a bare man testimony without hitting him up and telling him I love him. And someday, someday I I just I believe it in my in my bones that Dean is going to accept Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. And he and I will talk about that experience that we had in Yellowknife. In September 2015, for eternity. That is one of my deepest prayers. I agree with you on that completely. You know, I read a quote that's on your website, and it says, I became a grizzly attack survivor for a reason, not by accident. So I think your life must have changed right then. Is that when you launched into ministry? Uh, oh, actually, that's Linda's fault. Um, you know, I got back home and we had started going to a new church, and uh, she said this happened over the telephone. I thought it happened in church, but I mean, she's probably right. But well, I'll tell you the way that she's, she's going to get she's going to get the last word. So yeah, it's it's kind of like when I tell you the story of the attack versus how Jordan says the attack went. Two totally different stories. I mean, the only mutual agreement is that the bear ripped me apart, right? 
Yes, there's uh, evidence of that. <laughs> but it kind of goes towards you know Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Here, 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 here are here are four gentlemen giving the same depiction, but all seeing it from different angles, right? Yes. But the way that I remember getting into the Bear Man ministry started walking down the, the hall. We were going to see uh, uh, we were at church. We were going to see a speaker. And this gentleman walks up and he's like, hey, we have a men's group. Uh, would you be interested in talking about the grizzly bear attack? And before I could say no, my wife is like, oh, he'd love to. And I looked at her and I was like, are you out of your mind? He was asking me the question, not you the question. And then once she says, oh, he'd love to, what am I going to do? Go over the top and say, no, I'm not. And she, you know, whatever. Well, that's what she told me on the phone. She said, yes, he'd love to talk to you. Yeah. So that's how it started. So I, I, I went, I had no, I, I didn't have a testimony. I never thought about a testimony. I never thought about any of this. So I go to this group in uh, uh, True North was the name of the ministry. And I told my story. Then another church asked and another one, and another one, and another one, and another one. And it's just the Holy Spirit works through me in speaking with others. The only thing and the best thing that I can do is just get myself out of the way and let the Holy Spirit go to work. And the more that I do that, the more people are resonating and listening to it. I mean, just as an example, Jimmy, we had 27, correct me if I'm wrong, 27 bear man testimonies between March of 2020 and August of 2020 during the COVID environment where nothing was happening. 27 of them had to be moved to a later date. I mean, I believe that we have the opportunity through the prison ministries and the testimonies all across the country be rolling 75 to over 100 bear man testimonies a year. Now, you always end these with an invitation for people to receive Jesus, I'm sure. Yes, which was that was a whole other walk of faith, right? Because what does the devil tell you? Oh, you don't want to do that because nobody's going to come forward. You know, if nobody comes forward, that you know how embarrassing that's going to be? You don't want to <laughs> do that, right? And I had to go through that whole thing, man. This is all brand new to me. It's like, it's like I got used to riding a bike. Now you you tell me to ride something totally different, a unicycle. I don't know how to ride a unicycle. I'm used to my bike. So it's just it's a journey for me. And it, you know, I've had people tell me how much of a blessing it was to listen to me. But what the Lord has been doing for me this whole time since 2015, man, iron sharpens iron. He's just sharp, sharp, sharpens. Because the more that I'm out talking about that experience and my experience with our Lord and Savior. The more I want to learn, the more I want to learn, the more I get in the scripture. The more I get in the scripture, the more I want to learn. It's just like this huge. And then the Lord's like, I'm like, I'm gonna put this person in your life. I'm gonna put this person in your life. And then it just it just it's like a mushroom cloud. Now, would you say that bear attack was a wake up call or was it more of a gradual process after that? It was it was gradual. So instantaneously, your life wasn't changed in a particular moment, except that you did realize that you were saved, that you were going to heaven. The presence of God came on you. There was no switch that was flipped. It was all experience in the helicopter, the experience at the hospital, having the church ask me to, to do this. And before I could say no, my wife saying yes. And then just gradual, gradual, learn, gradual, learn more, learn more, learn more. The more I learn, the more I'm focused, the more opportunities that the Lord puts in front of me so the Holy Spirit can work through me. I call that be the wire. 
Well, you know, that is uh, important to let people know because some people want things to happen instantaneously, and, and they might think in a case like yours, that's what happened. This bear attack came, and you were a different man the next day, and it's not really true. It took time for all of this to transition, and it does for everybody. It was five years ago that this happened. Five years ago, September of this year, last month, five years. This was not an overnight turn the lights on because I can't see. This was very, very, very gradual. I had to learn. The Lord's not going to put the information in my head. He had to literally say, this is what I have planned. Are you willing to learn and go to the scripture so I can speak to you and understand what it is that I'm doing for you so I can speak for you to get to my people? I tell you what, Jim, you're you're speaking to the choir, and people need to know that, that it's progressive. Even in a situation like yours, maybe the bear attack started this whole thing. But it was really a progression after that to follow God. Well, let me ask you this. If somebody wanted to get a hold of you and know more about your story, and now we also talked before the, this program that you are in the process of getting the story out in a book. Is that correct? Yes, that is in the works. Probably take a year to get it finalized. From what I understand, that's way above my pay grade. But it is in the works. Well, how would somebody get a hold of you, contact you, or, or if they want you to come and speak, how can they do that? The best avenue for that is through the website, which is thebearman.com. Now, that's easy to remember. Just got to spell bear right. Yeah, it's got to spell bear right. <laughs> thebearman.com. It's got everything in there you want. Well, I'll tell you what, it is a blessing to have you on here, and your story is absolutely remarkable. And I think an interesting part of it, which I didn't even realize before I started talking with you, is that it wasn't a light switch, even though you experienced this horrible attack. Uh, everything didn't just happen overnight. It was a progression for you to walk into the things of the Lord, but there was certainly a willingness there that hadn't been there before. Yes, sir. Well, thank you very, very much, Jim, for being on the program. I appreciate it so much, and maybe we can have you back. I know Liz is going to be on here soon, and I just want to encourage everybody to listen when she comes on. I know her story is going to be wonderful. And so thank all of you for listening today. And you, too, have a story. It might be better than you think, so let me hear it. If you'd like, uh, if you like this podcast, go ahead and take a moment and subscribe, and you can reach me at uh, mygrandpajimmy.com or email me at mygrandpajimmy at gmail.com. So thank you again, Jim. It's been a real blessing having you on here. My pleasure. Thank you for the invite.